Hello and welcome to another episode of Running the Race Podcast. RTR is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, Louisiana, striving to provide a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To learn more about who we are and what we believe, head over to our website, www.fbcg.net, where you can access more episodes of the podcast, view or listen to sermons and services, or use some other great resources that we make available over at the site. Our speakers today are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of FBCG, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. Today's topic is hermeneutics. Jim and Alex talk about the importance of right biblical interpretation, how every believer must be able to interpret scripture for themselves, some steps to take and questions to ask in interpreting a passage, and how interpretation matters to believers in the local church. Listen to Alex Ray here with Pastor Jim Law at FBCG. And Jim, today we're talking about a really interesting and important subject, which is hermeneutics. And that's a fancy $5 word that simply just means interpretation. And for our purposes today, biblical interpretation. So what what does it mean to interpret the Bible? And not just interpret the Bible, but interpret the Bible correctly. Uh, everybody interprets scripture. But but the question I think we're going to be looking at today is what did it mean or how, or how did it look to interpret the Bible correctly? And I was thinking... Um, this uh, this morning about how the the Bible is is no mere book. It's not it's not a um, some sort of instruction manual to fix your car. It's not just simply a book of you know, nice writing. But the Bible is we believe it evangelicals a a God revealed yeah. truth. God revealed Himself through His Word. So we when we want when we come to Scripture, we we want to come away knowing more, not just about ourselves, but also the creator and the writer, capital W, writer of scripture. And so what do you, what do you think the best way for us to start um, as, we, as we start this conversation? Right, on the science of biblical interpretation, hermeneutics, um, what an important tool. And it seems to be a logical step beyond the challenge of biblical intake, which I think most uh, conservative evangelical churches emphasize. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we're seeing a great decline in biblical literacy in our culture, uh, we still emphasize reading, hearing, studying, uh, memorizing, meditating on the scriptures as a mm-hmm. as a spiritual discipline for the Christian life. And responding as well. Responding in obedience, yeah. right? I, just so many, Jesus said in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? And so this uh, this natural step towards not just reading the scripture, but as uh, Douglas Stewart and Gordon Fee uh, said years ago in their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, that is what we're desiring for God's people, that we would uh, live obedient lives. And so I think uh, this uh, step towards interpreting the Bible comes... um, as a, a needed corrective to a lot of bad ways of, of, of approaching the biblical text. I just maybe to take a step back, uh, Alex, and just to remind ourselves of the impact of the Bible on Western civilization. I am reminded in 1983, the year I uh, graduated from high school, that Congress declared, why are you laughing, Alex? Okay. No, no reason at all. <laughs> 1983, the U.S. Congress declared the, the, that year the year of the Bible and made this incredible um, acknowledgement. The Bible, the Word of God, has been 
or has made a unique contribution in shaping the United States as a distinctive and blessed nation. So, I mean, that is in the fabric of our uh, historical foundation. Mm-hmm. And, and here, uh, you know, just continually to emphasize the word of God, but wanting to equip our people not to be intimidated by the Bible. What do, think, what do you think they're intimidated by exactly? Well, when, for instance, they begin their Bible reading program and Genesis goes well, right. and Exodus is, goes well until you hit the tabernacle and the tabernacle construction uh, later in the in the later chapters of Exodus, and then you hit Leviticus and you wonder, who is this for? Right. But uh, it's for us. You know, I think of Romans 15, 4, where Paul said, these, these things written uh, before... Uh, were written for our instruction. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the statements of Jesus concerning the Old Testament, he never once led us to believe that it was somehow a shaky document. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. Jesus believed in Noah. Jesus believed in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus believed in Lot's wife. And Jesus believed in, in Moses and David and Jonah so you look at the teachings of Jesus, he affirmed the historicity and the authority of the Old Testament. And so, you know, just thinking about uh, being intimidated by it, uh, I, my desire is for God's people to read the Bible for all it's worth, to enjoy it and to understand it. And it is our life. And so I'm wanting maybe in this podcast to talk a bit about how to eliminate the um, intimidation factor in that way. Let, let me go on to say, too, I don't believe it's completely a, an intimidation issue. I think there's a desire issue as well. Mm-hmm. R.C. Sproul, in another book we want to plug in this podcast, uh, Knowing Scripture, uh, the late R.C. Sproul uh, said, if you can understand the daily newspaper, you can understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. And often there are more difficult concepts in a newspaper than there are in Scripture. And so part of growing as a Christian is becoming familiar uh, with the text of, of Scripture. So all Christians must be able to interpret Scripture. It's not enough to say, well, go talk to my pastor and he'll tell you what to believe. We, we need to be prepared to interpret the Word of God personally mm-hmm. as a part of our Christian life. And, and that idea that we can read Scripture for ourselves is a relatively uh, recent development, if you look at throughout church history, it was only in the last 500 years that Christians had scripture in their own language that they could read for themselves. And you didn't have to go to an author- a religious authority to say, hey, what did this mean? But we actually could read it. What, a, what another plug for the, the power of the Reformation right. on the, the landscape of human history. Right. And the, and the printing press. Right. To have the scripture in our own language. So our approach to interpretation needs to be consistent. It needs to be systematic. What are some common errors at that point? When you think of interpreting, what's the, what's the danger? What are some of the dangers that need to be avoided? I think there's a handful I think we, we might could spend some time on, but I think one of the first ones that comes to mind for me is this idea that, uh, that everything is just relative, that, uh, the text might mean one thing for me, it have might have one meaning for me, but but it can have something else entirely for you. And so the idea behind that might be you and I can read the same exact text, um, and we we each come away with not not necessarily just different things, but but it could even be contradictory things. That I come away with one thing, and you come away with something entirely like 
and then the problem is that we both can't be right on that. If that's the case, then one of the problems with that is that, you know, we both might be wrong, but we certainly both can't be right. You know, I was uh, confronted with that uh, in my college years um, with the literature where it's a reader response type of approach it can mean whatever you want it to mean and um, not have anything to do with what the author was wanting to communicate. Right. And certainly when we come to Scripture, because God is the author of, of Scripture, we need to be really focused on his intent and his purpose for whatever is being considered. I right. mean, that it's his word. So the, this intuitive, um, feel-right approach, finger in the wind, this is what it means to me. Um, really, the issue is what does it mean? Right. And so that causes us to go to to look at the the context of whatever the passage, uh, whatever the passage is, and. I think another danger would be spiritualizing things. Um, uh, when you think of spiritualizing, I, I think of Augustine, who was notorious for that, for all of his great accomplishments in church history, uh, spiritualizing the parable, spiritualizing um, various texts can be a great danger. Sure. You mentioned context a moment ago. We do want to remember what the context is. By context, you mean uh, what who wrote it? Uh, when did they write it? What's going on in that passage? Mm-hmm. What's going on in that situation? What covenant what, what are you covenant? under? Is it the old covenant? Is it the new, is the new covenant? Uh, we have to take all that into account because if we don't remember what the context is or we just dismiss it altogether, then we can basically isolate verses or passages as if they were in a vacuum. And then you do something like you go and you, you print a T-shirt or, or sell some artwork mm-hmm. with flipping 413 on it. And you basically just make it mean whatever you want it to mean. Certainly, we 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 know that he's our strength for all things. But it, Philippians four thirteen really in context is Paul uh, speaking about uh, the joys of contentment, right? And right. that Christ would be his strength for all of uh, these needs in his life. So I think a, another intimidating thing for uh, Christians is you know if the scholars can't agree, what hope do I have? Fair question. But I think really what we want to challenge is that every Christian has a responsibility to not only read and have intake of God's Word, but to learn to interpret it, mm-hmm. to apply it, to guide their life, to be really a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So, uh, you know, I, I hope our words today would encourage uh, the effort to to weigh in. I, I think one of the things that might help with some of these context issues, the historical background, and so forth, is, is a good study Bible. Which one would you recommend? Um, for years, we've recommended the MacArthur Study Bible. Mm-hmm. We just appreciate his faithfulness to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there's the ESV Study Bible. Um, I've benefited from the Life Application Study Bible through the years. Uh, but a, a study Bible that's going to give you an intro to the book, a breakdown, theological themes. It sounds like to me there, there's never really any reason for there to be a bored Christian when it comes to reading scripture. We mm. have a wealth of resources that we're, mm. I mean, quite honestly, spoiled, spoiled with. I mean, there's, I mean, look at the online resources, Alex. It's, right. it's uh, just more than we could even access in a lifetime. Right. right. And so we, we, we have these resources that we can use. We can dive deeper into scripture. And this is one of those things where I, like, I think Bible reading plans are helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to have a plan. 
thinker Robbie Gallaty, who said, "If you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there there are certainly good things about having a Bible reading plan, but one of the dangers I think that comes from that is that we can be so eager to check off that box that we finish, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the reading was for that day, that we're not really diving into mm-hmm. it. It's more quantity than it is quality. And so we want to remember that quality is really ultimately what we're after. Yeah, I think of Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer in John 17, 3, you know, uh, 17, 17, I'm sorry, uh, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Mm-hmm. And so being shaped and conformed into the image of Christ is his truth moving in us and changing our lives as our minds are renewed and our hearts are changed to mm-hmm. be um, uh, more faithful followers. So. We've mentioned two books, um, Fee and Stewart, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, and R.C. Sproul, Knowing Scripture. Let's mention another one that's a little more in, in depth, and that is the great contribution of Scott Duvall and Daniel Hayes in Grasping God's Word. And the re- reason I mention them is uh, it's a classic text in hermeneutics now mm-hmm. and really helps to give some uh, in giving guidance on how to approach uh, uh, proper hermeneutics. Uh, let's just, for the sake of um, this podcast, just mention five questions that um, Duvall and Hayes present in their book. What did the text mean to the original audience? Mm-hmm. Why would that be important, Alex? When you think about when, when someone's writing a letter, if, if I were to write you a letter, then you need to, uh, if someone, Jared, was going to read it you know, next year, then he needs to know, you know, how would you have interpreted that letter? How would you have responded to this letter that I wrote mm-hmm. to you? And so the same principle goes in mind for when it comes to the biblical text, that when you have um, any book in Scripture, when you're reading, you're reading something that took place in history, and so we need to understand how would that original audience, that original re- recipient, how would they have understood the original written-down text? Because it can't mean now what it would not have meant for them. Right. You know, if I'm if I'm reading something into the text that they would not have known, I need to rethink that. Right. Or if I'm seeing something in a text that has not been identified in 21 centuries of the Christian church, right. <laughs> I may want to think about setting that aside. But you know, there's there's also the issue of. Um, Progressive revelation, too. So uh, we read the text and approach the text in the Old Testament and with a sense of God revealing things that may not have been eminently clear to the original hearer, but for the most part, we're talking about practical uh, life issues mm-hmm. in, the, in the reader today. Mm-hmm. Um, that The text, um, what, what it meant to the original audience is a, is a key question and rightly understanding uh, the word. Uh, A second question, what are the differences between the the biblical audience and us? We could think of a a number of those. Uh, Language, you know, you and I are speaking in English right now. Uh, We're um, we're not, I'm not writing you any emails in Koine Greek or Mm -hmm. Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, So there's definitely a difference there. There's a difference in geography. We're here in culture. culture. Um, Again, the old covenant that you mentioned earlier. Uh, there's, there's a number of differences that need to be considered. Now, as we talk about this, again, for someone who hasn't really studied this a whole lot in depth or this is getting their feet wet, we used the word intimidating earlier. Uh-huh. I could eat, I could eat, I remember first when I was in seminary, first studying this stuff, using this, this Duvall and Hayes book, thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is too much. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is just like drinking water from a fire hose, you know, if I, yeah. and, and, 
but what I remember uh, my professor saying something along the lines of, you know, the more you deal with it, the easier it becomes, the more second nature it becomes, the more familiar you get with the text. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I'm not having to stop and think, oh, I'm reading something that was written in Hebrew. I need mm-hmm. to take that into it. I'm not having to step yeah. back and, and think through that step by step anymore. It's just it's just become second nature. So I think that 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 goes the same. That would be the same for anybody. The more the more you think about these the things, the less intimidating it becomes. Yeah, you know, for my own Bible reading, I've through the years have done McShane's Bible reading program and uh, other Bible reading programs. And in recent years, I've I've just started in Genesis one one and start reading. Yeah. And uh, I really like that approach uh, now, and I'm pretty settled on it. Uh, But I just finished the Pentateuch, and reading Leviticus, you know, for the 40th time maybe, um, beginning to appreciate it more and more when I think about the original audience. And the theme of Leviticus is the holy God's people to be holy as He is holy. Mm -hmm. Um, And you you read some incredible commands in Leviticus that seem so otherworldly to us because it's so foreign to us, but all was a part of God's call for them to be a a peculiar and holy people. And that the theme of Leviticus is repeated in the New Testament, 1 Peter for one, to be holy as the Lord is holy. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that I need to incorporate all the commands of Leviticus in order to pursue that holiness? No, because that was time-specific under the old covenant for exclusively for Israel. Mm-hmm. And so when it says, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. That's been a hard one for me lately. I've been struggling with that one. Right. So, I mean, that's culturally specific under the old covenant and um, is not, is not binding on the, on the new covenant believer in Jesus Christ. So understanding those differences and specifically with the law to, um, to be able to, assess, is this a a civil law that was unique to Israel? Was it a ceremonial law that was specific to worship in Israel? Um, Or is it a moral law that transcends that? Mm -hmm. And how would we know that? Well, in the Ten Commandments, for instance, all of them are repeated in in the New Testament and are binding as God's statement on how we're to live. And so that's not relative. That's that's very objective. Exception may be the Sabbath, Sabbath the, yeah. the fourth commandment, but Hebrews 4 speaks of Christ being the fulfillment of that. He is our Sabbath rest. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the difference is uh, identifying them and saying, okay, I understand this is under the old covenant, and I'm not, you know, it's not applicable to me. I, I, we've seen rid- ridiculous illustrations of this. I mentioned to you recently, uh, back in 2007, a US, USA Today reporter um, wrote an article, uh, an agnostic cloaked himself in the Bible for a year. Uh, the article was on this, uh, this person, and A.J. Jacobs, actually. So th- th- 381 days without shaving. And... Um, you know, he began to apply all of these things um, willy-nilly uh, as an effort to, like, he wore white clothing. It was like always being dressed for the semifinals of Wimbledon, he, he noted. You know, where are we commanded to do that? Right. He ate locusts. We're not commanded to do that. Or to herd sheep or, or any of these. These are distractions and missing the whole point. 
So in our biblical interpretation, we don't want to miss the point. Right. And I think hermeneutics helps us to do that. Mm -hmm. And and I think as well, when it comes to hermeneutics and and getting the point, ultimately what we want to see is, um, as Christians, we want to see the fulfillment of all scripture as in Christ. And so when you, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that you have a greater appreciation now for Leviticus, and you and I were talking recently about how that tend, that seems to be where people stop their, yeah. you know, every every January 1st, they start a new Bible reading plan. I think they typically tend to start at the beginning, start in Genesis and work your way through. And and by the time they get to Leviticus and Numbers, they, they start to peter out. And that to, I think part of that is, is maybe that they're missing the big picture, which is that everything that you see in Leviticus, everything that you see in Numbers and Deuteronomy, all these things are ultimately pointing us to Christ in some way, shape, or form. And so so to, to take one example, you know, when you when you read Exodus twelve, you see the uh, that the Jews are celebrating the Passover. And that this is a celebration where they uh, you know remember uh, they're about to leave Egypt and, and God tells them to take a take a unblemished lamb and slaughter it right. and take and take the blood of that lamb and spread it over your doorpost and then the angel of death is going to come by that night and any uh, any home that doesn't have the blood spread over a doorpost is going to lose their their firstborn and that's what he does and so then you see uh, that the blood of that lamb spares the lives of the people and then you fast forward to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul called Jesus our Passover lamb. And that's not the only place, to be sure, we see that kind of idea echoed all throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews um, where Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant, that, that everything is pointed in some way, shape, or form, everything, even the, even those quote-unquote dry areas like in Leviticus and Numbers that we tend to struggle with, we have to remember the big picture is that they all point to Christ. Right. And I think just in scholar scholarship uh, and seminary exposure to, to this subject has really opened that up in the last 30 or 40 years because um, at times in my seminary experience, we were just really warned not to see Christ in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which I think is anathema, right. <laughs> especially in light of... Jesus saying everything that was written of me in the Psalms and the prophets and the book of Moses, these things are about me. Mm-hmm. And certainly when Paul says Christ is our Passover, that's an immediate link back to the Exodus that event that you just mentioned. There are a number of questions that we'll put in the podcast notes, of these, um, these steps that uh, Duvall and Hayes mention. But let's talk for a moment on maybe some warnings on how not to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of uh, bad methodology? Uh, you mentioned the rel- uh, relativistic uh, approach. What would you say about some of these uh, concerning approaches to interpreting the Bible? Yeah, another one I think we might add on to that is the idea that the you know, we might say the Lord told me, yeah. uh, and, um, and then dot, dot, dot. You know, we, can, we can put in anything we want after that, and that's... I, I, I personally am a bit, a bit cautious with that kind of language. I, I do think we see uh, the Holy Spirit can certainly prod believers. Good guidance. And we believe guided. in that fully. Absolutely. You know, to be uh, led, guided, filled with the Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, think of um, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in the mm-hmm. book of Acts, uh, who right. was guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but to say that the, that the Lord audibly told me some something, um, it to me, that would say that, that that whatever that revelation is would would automatically be on par with Scripture, 
Is that the same God that that wrote the Bible is now communicating something to you? And so I, I just that I'm just a little bit cautious on that, and yeah. I I um I wouldn't want to use those words lightly. And then what happens when it doesn't come to pass? Right, like you, if you're prophesying the end of the world coming, uh, which happened in recent years, and mm-hmm. then it didn't happen. That's not even recent years. That's back up a hundred years. There's been a number of prophecies that the world was going to end, and then well, even something less dramatic than that. I mean, you're you're, you're the Lord told me to do this, and and the details don't work out. You know that can happen, and sure, it, and it'd be God's plan. F- for us, but I, I think it's better to understand that we've received guidance and uh, light from the scriptures that we're not violating known principles. Mm-hmm. We're not um, intentionally entering into sin and we're searching our heart and so forth. We want to be guided by the Holy Spirit and for the scripture to inform our decision making. But um, there's a, a better way to express that. I'm feeling led in this direction, I'm testing things out. Um, um, I think it's a more mature way to express that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another uh, warning to to, uh, to go back to that is the it, is asking the question too, or having this question in the back of my mind rather. That is there an objective meaning to the text? Mm-hmm. Having that in the back of our mind, and we as evangelical Christians would say yes, that there is an objective meaning to the text that God has revealed Himself in in His Word. And we have the privilege of reading it. That that scripture is like a gold mine that we get to dig around and look for look for buried treasure and, and and learn more about our Creator. And so again, going back to the relativistic approaches, that you know, if you and I each read the same passage and we have not just different takeaways but contradicting takeaways, then how do we know who's right? But we also want to be clear too that it's not to say that there aren't numerous applications. And so, you know, you might think of, uh, you know, Luke, Luke 15, uh, mm-hmm. the parable of the, we call it the prodigal son, which I, I think it's not appropriately, appropriately named because there are two sons in the story. But, you know, you, you see the younger son, um, he went off and squandered everything. He represents the, the, the sinners and the outcast that's mentioned in Luke 15, one and two, the beginning of the chapter. And then you see the older son, rep, who is the representation, is supposed to be a symbol of the, the Pharisees and the scribes, also mentioned in the beginning of Luke 15. So that, that speaks to the context of the passage. But also, too, we see that there, there are different applications going on uh, that are complementary. They're different, but they're complementary. So I think, Alex, uh, this has um, uh, been a, a good um, discussion on challenging us uh, to maybe develop a deeper curiosity to, to, to interpret the Bible, a, a deeper desire to understand, not just read, but what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, to do the work necessary to grow. And you're right, the Christian life is to be a series of um, uh, installments. Uh, every time we study the Word of God or hear a message, it's an opportunity to grow in the grace and knowledge of uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just close with a statement that Jesus made in Luke 24. This is post-resurrection. He appears on the Emmaus Road, and he says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. May it be so with us. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race Podcast. To find out more information about our church and our ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for taking the time to do that. 
If you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be great. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks. God bless. Goodbye for now.